Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Okay, well, good morning once again. And um, actually, I want to mention that uh, we have uh, actually one of our visiting missionaries that we want to acknowledge here uh, this morning, and uh, Nathan Lam. And uh, we just want to acknowledge uh, Nathan, if you could please stand up. And uh, he's, yeah, here from. And uh, actually, I think uh, also to Violet. Nathan's mother, uh, they will actually be leaving on Tuesday, from what I understand, right? And uh, so she will be uh, moving away from us uh, for at least a season, for a period. And so we want to really keep them in our prayers as they do that, okay? So um, before we go into talking about this passage that we just read, I'm going to just ask if we can just pray together. So uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Father, uh, we uh, just really praise you that we've been redeemed and saved uh, through Jesus, our great God and King. And Lord, we've been brought into this wonderful family, uh, the church, which you gave your son Jesus for. And as we uh, come to understand this passage more, I pray that you would um, cause us to grow in our love for what biblical fellowship is about, church. but cause us also to be doers and to be obedient to your word. Uh, May we as a church be the kind of church that would really uh, see your presence and witness your hand at work and give you the glory. Father, I pray for Nathan and Violet as a um, transition into this next phase, uh, especially for Violet. Uh, We're so thankful for her. Uh, We're thankful for her faithfulness, her life that has uh, really glorified you. And we pray that you would uh, just be her God, her shepherd, as she transitions. And um, that you would direct and comfort and strengthen and provide for her every step of the way as her loving God. Uh, Be with Nathan and uh, the work that's happening out there. And we ask for your hand of blessing to be upon that so that you would receive the glory. Uh, We ask that you would deepen our understanding now, open our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So... My family and I, um, I remember that when we first moved uh, back to the States and we ended up renting a condo unit uh, here in the Arcadia Temple City area. Some of you have been to our home, our condo back there. And, um, you know, it's a gated community area. And there are, you know, maybe about four major buildings within this. And I thought that this would be a great opportunity for me to really... uh, come back, get to know our neighbors, you know, build relationships, extend the love of Jesus, right? 
After all, it's a very tightly knit, or at least it's a very well enclosed community. And you drive through the gate. But I found that this was extremely challenging. Why? As you guys know, you drive through the gate, it opens, you click the garage door opener, you park your car, and that's it. And the extent of how much I saw my neighbors was I oftentimes just saw them drive through the gate, click on the garage door opener, park their car, and that was all I saw of them. And it was hard because I want to really build this relationship with them. And so sometimes I would just stand outside, you know, on purpose, just to see who would walk by. And it was, it was, it was difficult as well. And once, you know, sometimes we see our neighbors outside and I would say, hey, how are you doing? Like that, you know, um, nice to meet you. Or, Hi. And, and they would give me this look like, what are you doing? Who are you? <laughs> right? It's just, it's such a... You know, I'm just a neighbor, and I just want to say hi. That's, but it's so hard and so challenging. And you would figure that, you know, in this kind of enclosed community, that, uh, you know, it wouldn't be such a freaky, awkward, strange thing for people just to say hi to one another and just extend decent courtesy, right? Being neighborly. But, uh, so, yeah, they were just, a lot more just not used to that, and they were surprised. And it was, it was hard. Um, and so when we moved to our home recently in Temple City, um, Mimi and I, we use, employed a very different strategy. Okay, instead of being passive, what we're going to do is we're going to just go up to each of our neighbors. We're going to knock on the door. Hi there. I'm David. This is my wife, Mimi. Nice to meet you. Who are you? And, well, we did bring a little gift, so it kind of softened it a little bit. Uh, Maddie baked some, some banana bread, and we took it to each of our neighbors. And uh, that seemed to work a lot better. So, um, you know, I, I just thought it was very strange and very challenging in the culture that we live in. How easy it is for us to be literally, physically right next to each other, but not really know each other. Not even know our neighbors' names, Right? There's a famous book that was written uh, not long ago called Bowling Alone by this guy named Robert Putnam. And he talked about a social phenomenon here in the States where I remember when I was a kid, if you went bowling, you usually went in groups, right? You didn't go by yourself to go bowling. You would usually bowl with your church youth group or, you know, just with your bunch of friends or whoever. But the culture has really shifted, and now it's not unusual to find many people who go bowling by themselves, bowling alone. And that reflects the shift in our culture. And he writes that the greatest epidemic in America is loneliness. We're all very isolated from one another. Here in Los Angeles, right? I, I have so many conversations, but we live in one of the biggest cities here in America, very compacted, traffic, you know, uh, we're always rubbing shoulders with people, and yet we really don't know people very well. We don't have meaningful relationships. And I think that this epidemic is not just true for our culture at large, I, it's true for the church as well. 
it has affected the way we look at Christianity. It's affected the way that we relate to one another in the church. I mean, just look at us here. Some of us were literally sitting in our own pews, right? <laughs> we want our space. Here on Sunday, the body of Christ, and yet we're all like sitting in our own little like space, our own little rows. We come, we sing a few songs, we hear a message, and then right afterward, we just go home, right? We may exchange a few pleasantries. Hey, how's your week? Hey, you know, whatever. Um, this, you know, what I did this past week. In, but, you know, we don't really go deeper than that. So we have this Sunday proximity to one another. But we don't understand what it means to develop a genuine gospel community that the Bible talks so much about. I started talking about this series on discipleship. What is a disciple? And the life of discipleship, this life of following Jesus, pursuing hard after Christ. And last week, I introduced to you using uh, John chapter 15. Do you guys remember? Did you guys do that, the assignment this week, what you're supposed to do? How many of you guys remember the wheel illustration? Oh, man, this is... <laughs> Come on. Okay, remember, you're supposed to share that with someone this past week. Um, well, the wheel illustration, right? To illustrate the basic, basic spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. How do we remain Christ-centered in a world that is so distracting? Uh, in a world, in a, in a lifestyle that is so busy and so distracted that oftentimes, you know, Christ is not at the forefront but he's oftentimes put in the back seat of our lives. But how do, we, how do we keep focus on Jesus continually? And I talk about these four major spokes. So our vertical relationship with God and how important this, this spiritual discipline of taking in the word of God. Jesus talked about letting his words abide in us. And that's how we remain in the vine of Christ. But then prayer and what that means. And then our horizontal relationships of Fellowship and witnessing, the two vital spokes. And I talked about how if any of these spokes are broken in any single way, if we're missing any spoke as a major emphasis of our lives, this wheel is going to be broken. Our life cannot, we cannot experience the abundance and the fullness of this Christ-centered life as we were meant to if one of these spokes is missing. But the important thing is that we learn how to be obedient to the Word of God, how to put these things into action constantly. And we need constant, constant reminders of this. We so easily forget the simple things. And so we need to constantly be reminded to put, not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers, to put Christ at the center. Well, this morning... The spoke that I want to particularly focus on is this idea of fellowship, of fellowship. And what this idea is, and based on this passage that we just read in Acts chapter 2. Um, Nathan, the, the passage that he read for us here in Acts 2 is one of the probably best pictures of gospel fellowship community in the Bible. And... The context of verses 42 to 47 comes on the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches this gospel message and 
3,000 people are saved. I mean, this is like every church, you know, every pastor's dream, right? But I mean, all of a sudden the gospel goes out and God does this amazing work. Thousands are saved. In one day, they're baptized. And what do you do, right? When all these people are all of a sudden, you have all these young believers, what do you do? Do you put them into, you know, some new foundations class, gospel foundations classes, right? Do you run them through a Sunday school program? What did, what did they do, the, the apostles? Well, it's very, very simple. They came together and they formed this biblical fellowship, the church. And I want to talk about three characteristics of what biblical fellowship is all about. Three of these that I think are absolutely vital if we're going to practice genuine Christ-centered fellowship. So the first thing is this. Verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, and to prayer. And first thing I just want us to note here is this. The biblical fellowship, true, genuine biblical fellowship, is committed to learning God's word and to prayer. Learning God's word and to prayer. A lot of times we use and throw out the word fellowship, like very loosely, right? And we say, hey, join us uh, after service. We're going to have a time of fellowship, right? And what is fellowship? We, you know, Oasis Cafe, we have some donuts or no. Well, I haven't been to Oasis in a long time because I always miss it, but we have really good baked goods, right? And other kind of things. And we just kind of hang out and we, we talk about, you know, little things here and there. And we call that fellowship. But is this what biblical fellowship is? No. It's good to hang out. Okay? It's good to just sort of relax with one another. Have some fun. There's, that's a good thing. But true fellowship was centered around the Word of God. It says they, they devoted themselves, the, the Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This idea of devotion is this intense focus. Um, it was something that was very intentional. It was this, this strong term, but genuine fellowship is centered around study of Scripture, right? And to, to know God's Word and to live it out and to prayer and these, and these things. But this is what what genuine Christ-centered fellowship is, if God's word is not the center, if it's not what we're devoting ourselves to, then we can't really call it genuine fellowship. But this is what fellowship is. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 14 that the church in Corinth, that everyone would bring a teaching from God's word together when they, when they gather together as a church. This is what God showed me. This is what God taught me. This is what God is revealing to me about himself. And everyone would kind of sh just share these things about how the, the word of God, living and active, was moving in their life and through them. And they would, they would bring that together. I think that's why this, you know, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, right, is so popular, right? Because, you know, uh, people are hungering to know the word of God and how it's transforming us. And so... This is what fellowship is, right? That we are intensely centering ourselves on the Word of God and seeking to grow. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for our Sunday school classes. Uh, we've been going through an excellent series Sunday mornings and uh, just dealing with various um, yeah, life issues. And, and then 
you know, our CG and Bible studies and fellowship and these kind of things. But the second thing is this. Not only are we committed to learning God's word and to prayer and to intensely studying the word of God, but if you look here, look at what genuine biblical fellowship is. It says in verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. The second thing about true Christ community or true biblical fellowship is this, that biblical fellowship is committed to gathering regularly and sharing liberally with one another. Gathering regularly and sharing liberally with one another. Now, take a note at this in verse 44, right? Um, well, verse 45, it says this, uh, 46, I'm sorry. They worshiped together at the temple. And how often did they gather together? What does the Bible say? Each day. Not just Sundays. They met every day together. Now, it's not because they had loads of free time on their hands. You know, these people work full-time jobs, just like us. In fact, their full-time jobs were likely much more consuming than our 40-hour work weeks. It's not because they didn't have family obligations. They had birthdays, they had festivals, holidays, and those kind of things that they, had, they spent together uh, with their biological families, right? It's not just, you know, all of a sudden they became Christians, like, I've, I've left my job, I've got nothing else to do but just gather together. That wasn't, that wasn't the case. But they met, they were committed to gathering regularly. They, they knew how important this regular, regular fellowship was if they were going to be committed followers of Jesus. Um, these early believers, I think if they came here to the States, if you transport them to the 21st century, is it, it's the 21st century, right? Okay, just making sure. It, I've lived through, I've been in the 20th and now, okay. So if, you tr if they got transported here to our time, our day, our, our culture today, I think they would have found it very, very strange that the idea of church was to come on Sunday morning, sing a few songs, hear a message, and then go home and then not see each other again until the following Sunday, maybe. I think that would have been very, very foreign, very strange to these early believers. Because Jewish culture and early Christianity was clearly a very communal culture. Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, for example, how does he teach us how to pray? He says, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. No. What does he say? He teaches us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer was corporate. It was, uh, 
you know, we, we emphasize, you know, go to the Lord, go, you know, go privately before the Lord. Yes, absolutely, do that. That is biblical. But when Jesus taught his disciples, he says, come together and pray together. Luke chapter 2, you, you know, a lot of times I used to read this in Luke chapter 2, and you know how when he was 12 years old and he was at the temple courts and he was confounding the, the, the rabbis, the, the, the teachers of the day with his wisdom and all that, and then um, Joseph and Mary, you know, they, they leave, they leave Jesus behind, and then they're already set like a couple days into the journey, and they go, huh, like where's Jesus? Like, I, you know, I think we're missing our son here. Right? And do you ever wonder, like, how, how could they be so, quote, clueless, like, missing Jesus? I mean, when we go and travel as a family, right, like, it's, you know, we usually strap in our kids, right, in the, you know, when they're little, strap in the back seat, and then we go, and it's like, if the kid's missing, we would kind of know right away, right, within usually the first three minutes or five minutes or whatever, like, there's, hey, you know, that, that seat's missing, there's someone... Like, where's Joshua? Where's Maddie? Or whatever, right? Like, it wouldn't take us a couple days to figure this out. But do you, do you know why? It, was, it makes complete sense in this culture. They are a complete communicable. And when they, when they travel together for these festivals, for Jerusalem or whatever, they would travel with their biological family, their extended family, but as really a community, as like a village, so to speak. And everyone cared for one another. They took care of one another's kids, so to speak, as well. And so it was not unthinkable that the parents would have forgot because they naturally would have assumed that, oh, someone else is taking care of them. Now, you know, in our day and age, we get very suspicious about those kind of things, right? No one's going to take care of my kids. Like, um, but this was clearly the community that that they've experienced. And I want to say this. You know, I'm not suggesting that we meet every day, okay? Let's be realistic. Okay, we're not going to meet, you know, Monday through Saturday or whatever. But it's very, very clear that Sunday alone is not enough. That's very, very clear. It's very clear that we've got to actually have regular contact with other brothers and sisters in Christ on a more regular, frequent basis throughout the week. That's very clear. Here, I'm talking about as a church, as brothers and sisters together in this spiritual family of CEFC. That is very clear if you look at the scriptures. Hebrews 3 says, you know, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, lest your hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But this is clearly what we find. And we have to fight against our culture that fights for our privacy, our individualism, and just, hey, it's, it's my faith, it's private, it's personal. I don't want to let too many people in. You know, it's, it's hard or it's embarrassing. or We've got to fight against that. That is not biblical fellowship. This is not, that is not gospel Christianity. So we've got to, we've got to, prioritize the things according to God's word that Jesus says are important, right? Christian discipleship does not happen, cannot happen in isolation. It cannot happen between just me and God, just my quiet time. That's not how it works. Christian discipleship is always in community, always. So what did they share? Well, 
three things right here uh, I'll go over really quickly is this. First of all, it's very clear that they shared meals, that they shared their meals. Now, some commentators believe when they talk, and talks about the breaking of bread, some commentators would understand that as communion, the Lord's table, right? And then other commentators actually say, no, this is actually talking about real uh, meals that were shared in the home. And what, what's the answer? Well, the answer is yes, okay? Actually, communion, when it was practiced during the time of Jesus, you know, it wasn't like this, these like uh, little, thin little wafers and these thin little cups, you know, that we do today. And that, you know, not, not that that's wrong, but communion as it's practiced under Jesus was actually a real meal. Is the real breaking of real bread and this wine cup that's being passed around, right? That's what, how communion was actually observed. And it was a meal. And so um, these shared meals together, when believers came together, Jesus takes this meal and he transforms the meaning of a meal beyond just simply fulfilling your physical appetites to say, Christ is the real bread of life. He is he transforms the meal to help us remember that our ultimate, our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate need, our, our, ultimate, um, our ultimate bread is Christ himself. That's what he does. Transforms the everyday things of our lives and assigns it new meaning. And so they learn to share meals together in that context. But the second thing there is this, that we clearly see that they also shared their homes in verse 46, right? Um, verse 46, that, you know, they worshiped together at the temple, and then it says that they met in homes. They met in each other's homes. Now, if we're going to practice this biblically, what, what that means is this. Um, it's one thing for us to meet in this church building on Sunday morning, but it's another thing when we actually meet in each other's homes. This is really, really important that we are in each other's homes. Why? Because homes have, it's, it's a whole different meaning. When you invite someone to your home, what you're, what you're doing is you're inviting them into your life, right? That's what you're doing. It's easy for us to gather in a building. This is neutral. But when I invite you to my home, I'm basically opening my life to you. And the same, vice versa. There's this guy named Tony, Tony Morita. And he says, some say that the wallet is the last thing to be baptized, but I think in America, it's our home. It's our home. We oftentimes use our homes as, we kind of look at it as our private castle, right? This is where I'm going to come, and I'm going to relax. I've had a hard day of work. This is where I could just be, I could just use my time. It's my time, my, my home. I'm going to just, you know, use it to just, you know, kind of veg out or whatever. But when you can use your home to say, no, this home does not belong to me. It belongs to God. And God has provided this home for me, and I can relax in it. But ultimately, it's for God's purposes. And I'm going to use this home to invite people in. That's why our community groups, our CGs, are extremely important. Because in our community groups, we don't just meet in the church building. We intentionally meet in each other's homes. Because by meeting each other's homes and sharing meals together, what we're doing is we're practicing the way of Jesus, what he taught us here in the book of Acts. To open our lives to one another at a deeper level. Authentic community. 
This is so important. Now, it takes work, right? Does it, is it tiring sometimes? Yes. Clean up, cooking, preparing, sacrificing, all of those things. But I will guarantee you that the benefit is so much greater. You gain spiritual friendship. You gain deeper relationships. You have a spiritual family, not just a corporate church worship setting, but a spiritual family in which you can share your life and they can share theirs with you. And, and you learn to serve each other and pray for each other. And you, you learn to put the things that are important to Christ as the values of your life. You gain so much more when you do that. And then they also shared material resources as well. Now, it says that they shared everything that they had. They sold their property possessions and shared the money with those in need, right? Now, we're not talking about communism, okay? Some people say, oh, is this communism? No, we're not talking about communism, okay? Communism says what's yours is mine. All right? That's communism, right? Whatever you've earned, whatever you have, it's, it's ours. It's ours now. That, we're not talking about communism. Gospel Christianity is, says, what's mine is yours. Christ gave himself fully for me. He withheld nothing from me. And if God is one who's given himself completely for me and he provides for everything I have, um, it's, only, it's only a joy and a responsibility I have that whatever is mine that I'm willing to share. I'm willing to, my home, meals, right? Material things if need be. All of those things. So it's voluntary. But we have a responsibility here in the body of Jesus that if you come across a need, any brother or sister, and you are the one who's aware of it, you have a responsibility. You are your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper. That is true. But this is gospel Christianity. This is the, when we experience the, the, the gospel, the generosity of Jesus to us, it's only natural that we actually practice generosity to one another. It's the natural thing to do. But here's the last thing I'm going to share. Biblical fellowship um, is not only committed to God's word and prayer to gathering regularly and liberally, sharing liberally. But finally, this is the last thing, last thing. It's devoted to missional living. Verse 47 says this, All the while they were praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, later on, we'll see that, you know, God's heart, why did he gather his people to send them out? We gather to worship, but we scatter on mission with Jesus. And the goal of our church is never just for us to build a nice, good church, right? This is not the point. The point is that we are gathered together so that we could be on mission with Jesus. This is the point of why we're here. Um, when I was in the Air Force, one thing I saw that was a powerful lesson, I think, for the church was this. In the Air Force, we have all different kinds of people from all over the world, all different ages. We have young airmen who are barely out of high school, 18 years old. We have colonels who are, you know, 45 or whatever. Um, we have all different jobs. We have flight crew, mechanics, crew chiefs, pilots. We have mission control. We have 
lawyers, doctors, uh, firemen, policemen, security forces. We have a full gamut, people from all over the United States, such a diverse collection of people. But you know what? As a unit and as a base and as an Air Force, we were one, you know, efficient, well, mostly, sometimes mostly, efficient fighting machine. Why? What could unite possibly all these people together of very diverse backgrounds? It's the mission. The mission of the Air Force is air superiority, right? To dominate or to control the skies. And everything that we did, no matter what our background, no matter what your job, it all led to this one common mission. And that mission had the power to unite very, very diverse people of very diverse backgrounds together. This is what kept us focused. If we as the Air Force, we just focus on, hey, let's build unity. Let me try to learn to get along with you. Let me learn to just focus on unity for the sake of unity. It wouldn't work. We're too different. What unites us as Christians is the work of Christ on our behalf, but also now his commission to us to go and make disciples. This is our mission. And a mission has a powerful unifying effect. True unity does not come from all of us being in the same room, right, so to speak. It comes from being on the same mission of making disciples of the nations for Christ. I want to really invite you uh, after service to, it's, it's a great opportunity to sign up for a CG. We're in the middle of a two-week break, but we're about to resume our second semester of community groups. We have seven community groups that meet throughout the SGV, okay, almost every night of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So we have community groups that meet throughout the week, various times, afternoon, evening, all of that. But community group, I believe, is the picture of Acts 2. Sunday is not it. This is a time of corporate worship, hearing of God's word, but this is not where we're going to form genuine community. Genuine community is going to be, ha- is going to happen as we meet in each other's homes, share meals, center ourselves on God's word, and be on mission together with Jesus. And this is exactly what our community groups are designed to do. We're trying to fulfill all of these biblical pictures that's so beautiful. This uh, picture of the tree here, I, I showed you this illustration last, uh, last time of this tree, but actually this is supposed to be a picture of a sequoia tree. And you know sequoia trees are actually some of the tallest in the world. The tallest one is like 275 feet, 25 feet in diameter. And if you look at sequoia trees, incidentally the root system is not very deep in the sense. It only goes six feet under. That's it. You would think it goes, you know, maybe hundreds of feet, but it's only six feet. But... What, what makes sequoia trees so stable and strong, you know, despite all the heavy winds and rain and all of that, the weather conditions, is that they have a very intertwined root system. And the trees hold one another up literally by their roots. And I think this is a picture of community. That what's going to enable us to stand for Jesus, to keep centered on Christ, is because we have a very intertwined root system in our church called Community the way that God designed discipleship to happen. And I'm going to invite you to really be part of that. Sign up. Uh, Be part of it. Say, 
if this is what God wants from me, not what Pastor Dave wants or, you know, but if this is the picture I find in the Bible and this is how I'm going to grow as a believer of Jesus, I need to be part of this. And as you do so, you'll find yourself blessed. Jesus promised that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what he said. Well, join me, uh, with me in prayer. And uh, actually, I'm going to ask all of us to rise, it, you know, and we're going to forego this last song. And we're just going to go straight to, into our um, just benediction right now.